Thank you for listening to Pleasant Grove Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website, pgbcronda.com, or visit on all social media platforms. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. We're continuing our series in Colossians. Notes are provided for you in your bulletin. If you are taking notes and keeping up, you may notice, and you may say, Pastor James, you're skipping a couple of verses. We didn't finish chapter one last week, and that is on purpose. I felt the Lord was leading me to skip those, that passage of scripture there um, from verses 24 to the first part of chapter two, and we're going to come back at that at a later date, but today we're going to look at chapter two, verses four through 15, and I've entitled the message Alive in Christ, and uh, we're going to look at that this morning. You've already stood enough. We're just going to read the scripture this morning and follow along. And the Bible says in this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent from the flesh, yet I'm with you in the spirit, joying and beholding in order and the steadfast of your faith in Christ, as you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in your faith, as that you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through the philosophy of vain deceit, after the traditions of man and after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you're circumcised with the circumcision made with hands, without hands. In putting off of the body, those are the sins of the flesh of the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins, all trespasses, I'm sorry, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgotten all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against him, which he was contrary to us, and took out of the way, nailing him to the cross, and having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for just allowing us to worship you in song as Kenzie sang and as we sang these hymns and in Christ alone. Lord, our faith is in you alone and it's in no one else. And I pray, God, that your name be lifted high today. I pray that you uh, say what needs to be said through me and, Lord, your name will be lifted high today. We love you and in your name we pray. Amen. Last couple of weeks, we talked about knowledge is power and we began talking about Jesus ruling over our life and As we think of growing in our faith, we must understand from last week that if Jesus is going to rule over all, and we meditate on that question, what is Jesus to me, and we truly think about that, what is Jesus to me, then it will naturally read us and challenge us to go deeper in our understanding of who Christ is, and ultimately that we're no longer dead in our sins. We are alive in Christ, and we are alive to live for Christ. And this is what this passage is talking about this morning, that we are alive in him. We are no longer dead in our sins, but we are alive to live and to flourish for Christ in our life. And so this morning, not a lot of introduction. We're going to jump right into the notes because uh, of time, and I've got a lot to cover this morning. But in the first couple of verses, the Bible says here that we should be making spiritual progress as Christians and as young Christians, old Christians, no matter how old we are in our life, we should be making spiritual progress in our life. 
The question we want to ask ourselves is this, have you been making spiritual progress in your life? Or are you where you were at when you got saved? Theologically, have you grown in your faith? Theologically, have you began to know Christ more? I reference Sunday school a lot because we're in Sunday school and we love Sunday school. I hope you're there. But, but it was stated even this morning in Sunday school, when we begin to know Christ more, our faith begins to get real to us. We begin to understand who Christ is in our life. Our faith begins to be real in our life. The Bible says that we must walk in him. As the longer you walk with someone, the more you begin to know their flaws the more you begin to know their personality traits, you begin to know who they are, what they are, you know what ticks them off, you know what makes them happy, right? And so uh, in my house, I'm not allowed to eat cereal in the morning with my wife around me, okay? Because apparently when I eat cereal, I make a moaning, I just enjoy making, eating cereal, I guess. It's, <laughs> my, my, my sister-in-law says it's a safer thing that when we eat cereal, when we eat any type of dairy, we just, I, I don't even know I make it, but she's like, you can't do this around me. And so as we have went together in life, the longer we're together, the more we know things about each other. And the same thing should be said in our life. The longer we live with Christ, the longer we walk with Christ, that we should begin to understand what he likes, what he doesn't like. The disciples knew what Jesus liked. They walked with him for three years. They knew what he wanted them to do. And at the end of his life, they began to understand what this looked like, right? There were, there were two disciples. You know there were two disciples that betrayed Jesus? I was reading this and I heard this thought the other day that there were two disciples that betrayed Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus and ultimately led him to crucifixion. And Peter betrayed Jesus. One betrayal led to a death because he didn't fully know who Jesus was. But Peter knew who Jesus was. And when Jesus came back to him on that seashore, he understood there was grace there. Because Jesus gives grace. He knew who he was. He knew what Christ was about. And we, if we make spiritual progress, we begin to know who Christ is in our life. And that we don't have to live in the deadness of our sin, but we can live in Christ every day of our life. So I've wrote down a couple of things here as we look through this. The first is this, the need for progress. Well, you may say, well, Pastor James, why do I need to grow? Why do I need to grow in my faith? I, I, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. Why do I need to grow? Well, simple, through spiritual growth. If we're not growing in our understanding, then the world, as Paul says here, will be beguiling us or drawing us away from God, right? If we're not in our Bible every day, if we're not meeting and having discipleship and having small groups and, and, and going to Sunday school, if we're not listening to podcasts, because I like podcasts, it's easy for me to digest information that way. If we're not around other believers, we're not growing. And the Bible says here, any man that is doing this will be beguiled with enticing words. You see, you would not expect your child to go to school in third grade. And then when they got into fourth grade, they never learned anything different. And when they went to fifth grade, they began to learn the same things they learned in third grade. And all of a sudden, they're in 12th grade and they're not learning anything different than they learned in third grade. You as a parent would be upset because you were wanting this education to prepare them for their next level of life. And so we, at the same way, must understand that Christ does not want us to stay where we're at. He wants us to continue in our faith. A couple of years ago, Bertie said to me when he was in third grade, he said, Dad, he said, third grade, it's, it's a lot harder than, than second grade. He said, man, they're giving us tests. 
We're having to memorize things? It's like, Dad, this is, this is tough. I said, you know, Brody, fourth grade's going to be tougher. <laughs> what? I said, yeah. Fourth grade, I said, and guess what? Fifth grade's going to be even tougher. It's always going to get more challenging. Why? Because we want our children to grow in their knowledge, in their physical life. Why would we not want to grow in our spiritual life the same way? And Christ says here through the Apostle Paul, we must be making spiritual progress so that others do not come away and distract us and to draw us away from our faith. Because he says here in verse 5, the joy and beholding the order of the faith in Christ, there is joy in knowing Christ more abundantly. There is joy in knowing Christ in the storms. There is joy in knowing who Christ is when we go through the trials and tribulations of our life. And Paul says here, I need you to grow for the sake of your spiritual maturity. So there's a need for progress, but there's also a nature of progress. He wrote this, and it's so applicable today because he begins to say here in verses 6 and 7, he says, how, how do you have this progress? How do you begin to grow in your faith? What is this? And, and simply the, the first one thing he says here is that there must be a separation from others. There are times in our life where we will be separated from others. Paul, remember here, a couple weeks ago, Paul was not physically at the church at Corinth, at Colossae. He had never been there. He had never met them face to face. So he was separated from them, and he says this, there are going to be times where you will be on purposely separated from other people, but there are times where you on purpose need to separate from other people. And this is difficult in our life. This is difficult for us to understand that we sometimes on purpose have to separate ourselves from other people for the sake of their growth. I've shared a little bit, but my, my older sister, she is uh, living a lifestyle that I do not approve of. And so for the sake of my family, she is not allowed to be around my family. It's tough. It's difficult. But at the same time, I am responsible for my kids and their safety and their well-being. And so therefore, I must look out for them because I want them to grow. I want them to grow in the knowledge of Christ. I want them to grow in the understanding. And Paul was saying when we separate ourselves from people, it's not that we're separating because we're mad. It's not that we're separating because we're angry. He says, I'm separated because this is the situation that Christ has put us in. And even in that separation, this is what he says, you ready? I'm still praying for you. I'm still going to be there for you when you need me to call on you. I'm still going to be there for you. You see, we all experience that time of separation. Right? Just a couple years ago, does anybody remember a virus that went around? I think it was called COVID. Okay, does anybody remember that? I'm the only one? No. Oh, a couple hands. A couple hands that remember that. Okay, yeah, COVID went around. Right? And we were physically separated. We couldn't go and see our family members. We couldn't go to work. We couldn't go to school. We were on virtual learning. We were on virtual work. And we were separated. Paul understood that. Paul said, I was separated. I'm in jail. And I'm still able to say, listen, there's a reason for this. And I still want you to grow. I can't physically be there with you, but I've got this desire to see you grow. And there are times where we will be separated from others on purpose or by accident. And we must still have a desire for them to grow. And then in the last verse, in verse 7 here that we'll look at, he says, there's a spiritual desire. I didn't put those two in your notes. Separated from others, spiritual desire. You can write those down if you want. Uh, but he says, there's a spiritual desire for this nature of progress. And he lays it out like this. He says, rooted and built up. He said, this is the thought of a tree, right? A tree that's planted and those roots begin to go out and they begin to grow and they begin to get stronger. And that tree begins to go up. It's got to go out first deep in order to have the strength to go up. And the Paul is saying here, 
that in our spiritual life, we must be rooted and built up. We must have a firm foundation if we're going to grow for Christ. And then he says this, you must be strong in your faith, unwavering, knowing what you believe and why you believe it. This is the concept of knowing who you are and whose you are. Right, a couple of years ago, uh, my kids, I, I teach this to all my kids, my family, uh, and Hudson will eventually get to this point, but, but Brody came in, or Jade, I can't remember who it was, and they were playing a sport they hadn't played before, and this way I said, I, I, I just can't do that, Dad. And I said, no, son, daughter, whoever it was, I said, you can do that. You know why? Because you're a safer. <laughs> They're like, what? I said, yeah, you're, you're a safer. That's your last name. Be proud of who you are. Be confident in who you are. A lot of people think that I'm confident or arrogant sometimes, but I just am confident in what Christ has given me, and I want to live for him. And I said this in this thought of, you're a safer. You can do what God has given you the talent to do. Step up, hit that baseball, throw that football, do whatever it is with basketball for God's glory, and live up to your name. This is the confidence. And in a physical world, we have that confidence. But how often do we not have the confidence when it comes to our spiritual world? We are the son of God. We have been made the sons and daughters of God. Christ is our father, our brother. God is on our side. What can we not do with Christ in our life? And this is what Paul was saying. You must be strong, unwavering, living in your faith. And then he says here in verse 7, as he continues, he says this, abounding therein with thanksgiving, serving with love. Abounding here is the thought of serving and doing you all, can, all you can for the kingdom. We just had our trunk or treat. We had 10 or so tables set up and we had people serving food. We had hundreds of people come through the line and they were getting candy and we had people hanging out and, and eating and enjoying. This is serving with love. It's serving for the glory of God. It's serving so that his kingdom can prevail, not ours. And it's meeting people where they are at. This is serving with love, church. Spiritual desires. Look at the second thing. Not only do we need to make spiritual progress, but he continues on. He says, why do you need to make spiritual progress? Paul lays this out very clearly. Why do you need to make spiritual progress? Number two, because you, if not, you need to look out for the spiritual pitfalls in our life. Verses 8 through 10, beware lest any man spoil you. The pitfalls that are going to come. In the human world, we are around others like it or not, that want to see us fail, right? We're in a, what's, what's called a dog-eat-dog -dog world. How can I step over this person to get a promotion? How can I do this so that I can succeed in life? What deal can I make here so that I can succeed in life? And unfortunately, in the physical world, that's how it is. And in the spiritual world, Satan does not want us to succeed. He wants to find ways that we're going to fall. He wants to find our temptations that... We cannot understand in our life of why we're tempted. And he says, you know what? That's what I'm going to tempt you with today. Because Satan is a genius. Okay, He was an angel of light. He, he, he worshipped Jesus. He, he led the, the, the spiritual realm in worship. He knows how to put temptations in our life. And so we need to be aware of those pitfalls. We need to be aware of the things that we're going to fall in. And, and Paul lays out four, three basic simple things here. And then he gives one question that we'll hit at the very end of this. He says this, the first thing, watch out for worldly wisdom. Verses 8, the very beginning, he says this, Beware of any man spoil you through the philosophies and vain deceit. Worldly wisdom, philosophies and vain deceit. For Second Timothy says it like this, People are going to have itching ears. 
And with those itching ears, we're going to listen to whatever is popular in the day. And Paul was saying, be aware of those things. Try them with Scripture. Make sure they are true. Make sure they are right because worldly wisdom can sometimes be wrong. And he says, don't just do it because the world says it's right, but do it because God says it's right. And so watch out for the worldly wisdom around us. The second thing, and I'm going to briefly hit on this because next week our entire sermon is basically on this point here, but he says this, watch out for the traditions of men. Verse 8, it says this, after the traditions of men. It's very literally pulling words out of scripture here. Pretty simple. These are the things that are handed down from generation to generation with no biblical content, right? I was taught growing up that the only music we listen to, you may have been taught this way as well, the only music we listen to are hymns, southern gospel, and bluegrass music. Is anybody, anybody in here raised like that? Okay, a couple of you, right? So I go to Bible college, me and Allie start talking, we're dating, falling in love with her, all the fun stuff that goes on. She comes to me one day and she says, hey James, uh, I'm going to go to a Casting Crowns concert. I said, uh, I don't know about that. That's that worldly music. <laughs> That's that music that will send you to hell. And this is what I said. You ready? I don't know if we can still date if you go to that concert. Because Casting Crowns, that's not Southern Gospel. That's not bluegrass. And last I checked, they didn't sing hymns. So I don't know if we can, this, I don't know if our relationship can handle you going, and I'm, I'm serious, I don't know if our relationship can handle you going to a contemporary Christian concert. That's the words I said to her. Why was that? Because I was following the traditions of men. And the traditions of men said, they don't do anything good. A couple years ago, we got a couple of our teenagers here. I took our teenagers to a skillet concert. Have you ever heard of skillet? Okay, it's like a Christian rock band. Okay, my son loves skillet. Like literally every day he's listening to a skillet song. Okay, they got some good stuff. And I'm like, and Allie, she pointed this out to me the other day. She said, James, you realize we almost broke up over a Cast and Crowns concert? I was like, yeah, I know. I was following the traditions of man. I was in this. And Paul said that it wasn't just 2,000 years later, but it was 2,000 years ago. People were following the traditions of man. And he says, be careful. Wiersbe says like this, a new Christian from a distant mission field if they were to visit America and most churches today, they would be astounded at the ideas and practices that we have because they could not be supported by God's word. Think about that. Think about what we do and why we do it and say, is this what the first century church was doing? And if a new church was planted in Uganda, because I just had a missionary lady that I met yesterday that's going to Uganda and she's planting churches and she's going to be ministering. If she plants a church there and she says, this is what the Bible says we do as Christians. And then they were to come here a couple years later and they would say, hold on. Why, where, where's, why, why are we doing that? Is that in scripture? Or is it just because of the traditions of man? And he says here, be careful of the traditions of man. The, the last part of verse 8, he says this, beware lest anyone after traditions of man, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. He says this, the culture of the world. Look out for the pitfalls of the culture of the world. Just because the culture changes does not mean the church has to change. A friend of mine, I say a friend of mine, I listen to him all the time on podcasts, so I consider him a friend. Um, I've never met the guy before in my life, but he makes a statement like this. He said, 60 years ago, the church influenced the culture. And somehow in the last 60 years, 
we have turned that around and the culture now influences the church. He said, when are we going to get back to the church changing the culture? And it's so positive, it's so true, because so often we are living in a world and there's been a great shift and we follow the culture and Christ says we are called to be the light in the dark world. Not the darkness in the dark world. Not follow them as they follow whatever they're following, but to follow Christ as he follows, follow Christ as as Christ leads us into this righteousness. We are not to blend in with the darkness, but we are called to live a different life. And when we think about these three things, it should lead us to this last question in verses 9 and 10, and it's simply this, where does this place Christ? Where does this place Jesus in our life? Verses 9 and 10, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We are complete in him. He is the head, the principality of all the powers. This should be the fullness of our desire to follow and to serve Christ. Our deepest desire should be the Lord is glorified. And if we follow the three things that I mentioned earlier, the the worldly wisdom, the traditions of men, the culture of the world, Christ will not be lifted up. But if we follow Christ as the Godhead, it is only through that that Christ is lifted up. He is the supreme ruler of our life. And I love what it says here. It says here in verse 9, verse 10, listen to me again. It says, and you are complete in him. We can be complete in Christ, church. We can be complete in knowing that he is the sustainer of all things. We hear it all the time. Since COVID, primarily, but since COVID, there has been an identity crisis and suicide at an all-time high. Why is that? Because people have no identity. They once thought one thing was right for them and that system of belief fell apart. Because they were not complete in Christ. Oftentimes people ask me, why is this? Why are people, why are teenagers, why are young people giving up on their life. I simply say this, because they don't have Christ. If Christ was in their life and they were complete in him, I'm not saying someone can't be depressed and someone can't be anxious and someone couldn't be over-medicated, but I'm saying when Christ is the center of everything, we don't need anything more than Christ. He is the completeness that we so thrive to be in. And the Bible says that he is the head of all principality and powers. We want to know how to live for Christ, be complete in him. Think about, think about that. We, we have this, it's not even in my notes. Psalms 23, the Lord brought it to my mind just now. We've heard it many, many times. Funerals, we've heard it over, over and over again. And oftentimes we've heard it so much it doesn't impact us the way it used to. But listen to these verses. The Lord is my shepherd. He is me, my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I don't need anything. Think about that. David's writing this, and some people think that maybe David was writing this when he was a teenager. I fully believe that David was probably writing this in a cave when Saul Saul was coming to kill him. And he writes this, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. He makes me to go places that I don't want to go. He makes me to go to green pastures. I don't want to go there, but he makes me go and He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me to the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I heard this the other day. 
What can a shadow do to you? Nothing. He says he makes me walk by the shadow of death. Shadow only causes fear. But with Christ, we're just beside the shadow of death. And this, you ready? I will fear no more because Christ is in me and I am complete in him. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, you comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the midst, in the center of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. My future is secure, surely, and goodness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is David writing in a complete attitude of Christ is my complete life. And I'm going to live in the fullness of who he has for me and what he has for me because I am complete in him. Is that what we can say this morning, church? And then ultimately when we get to that point, he says you don't only need to Make spiritual progress. You don't need to watch out for spiritual pitfalls, but you need to be relying on our spiritual promises. There's spiritual promises all throughout Scripture. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of promises all throughout Scripture that give us hope, that give us help, that give us encouragement when life is at its worst. And we can relate to these characters because they did the same things that we did. They royally messed up, and God showed them grace. They did things that they knew they shouldn't have done. What did Paul say? The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. And he says, I just need to rely on the promises that Christ has given me. Verses 11 through 13 talk about being alive in Christ, being alive in him. Paul is calling for us to remember here, verse 11, the picture of baptism. He says this, buried with him in baptism. He's saying that figuratively, when you come out of that water in baptism, you are a new creature figuratively. But literally, you are coming out of that water alive in Christ. The old man put to death and the new man coming to life. And you are now living in the fullness of Christ. If we can identify with Christ and if we can live in the fullness of what he has, we have to ask ourselves, what more do I need in life? What more do I need? If I can live in Christ, I can live in the fullness and the completeness of who he is, what more do I need? The answer should be nothing. But so often we live for the next whatever it is. And Christ says, put away the deadness in our life and live for the fullness of who he says that we are. Because we are alive in him. Verse 14 says this, Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took out of the way, nailing it to the cross. He simply says here, we are free from the law in Christ. We are freedom from the law in Christ. Christ did not only free us from the sin of the world, he purchased our own soul when he died on the cross. He said, I'm freeing you from the law, from the old covenant. You no longer have to live under the law. We don't make sacrifices anymore, right? We don't come in and bring in our best animal. Okay, last time I checked, Claude, he's not here today. He didn't bring a chicken in this morning to, to crucify it, to kill it, to, to pour the blood over the altar, right? We don't do that anymore. Why? Because Christ freed us from the law. And all the time, oftentimes, we get to the point where we want to go back under the bondage of those rudiments. And he says here, you are no longer bound by the rudiments of the law. We have freedom in 
the Spirit. Romans 7 says it like this. Roman, we, we, we quote Romans 8 a lot, but Romans 7, verse 6. You can write that down if you want to. It says, But now we are delivered from the law, having died to the things which were bound, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter of the law. We are free to live for Christ in the Spirit because we are under grace. But how often do we want to be bound by the law? Christ, just tell me what I can do and what I can't do. Give me my rules of things I can do and our rules of things I can't do because we like that. It's easy. It's difficult to live in the freedom of the Spirit. And Christ says that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he has blotted out the ordinances that were against us and we are now living through the cross, which causes us to this, have verse 15, to be victorious in him. We're alive in him, we're free in him, and now we are victorious to proclaim the victory on the cross. He broke the hold that the devil has on us. As the song was saying just a minute ago, he has set us free. And hallelujah that we are set free this morning, church, because we can live in victory with him. Oftentimes, we walk around living a defeated life. And Christ says we must put off the defeat and give into the victory that Christ has given us. People often ask me this question, Pastor James, in all of my years of ministry, 12 years now, why are you so excited? Okay, why are you energetic? Why are you, why are you always just uh, seem to be happy? If you live with me, I'm not always happy. Trust me, my kids make me mad every once in a while. Just every once in a while, not often. My simple reply is this, the battle is already won. I'm not fighting the battle today because Christ has given us the victory and we are able to walk in him and it's pretty easy to be excited when you know the victory's already been won, right? The soldiers that go into the battle and they know this enemy that's coming against us, they're small, they're easy to beat, they're not depressed at all. Right? Football teams, they, they do this. When they, when they go against a, a team that's not that great, they're like, yeah, we don't have to practice as hard this week. We've already won. That's the Christian life. We've already won. We've already read the back of the book. We know that Christ is going to come. We know that Christ is coming back one day. We should be living a victorious life because we're alive in him. And oftentimes we live a defeated life. And the devil says, yep, I won. Because the world's going to look at us and they're going to say, if that's what Christianity is? Always sad and moping around? Why do I want to have anything to do with that? And Christ says we need to live a victorious life. As Terry comes and begins to play, my closing thoughts are three very simple questions for you. For you to respond however you and the Lord see fit. Are you alive in Christ or are we living in the deadness of our sins? Are we alive in who Christ says we are? Or are we content with staying dead and living in the deadness of what Christ has done for us, has not done for us, but he freed us from that? The second thing, are you aware of the pitfalls that the devil has around you? Are you aware of the things that the devil has, the temptations? If you're not, maybe come and say, God, help me understand the temptations in my life. Help me understand the things that are going to make me fall. And the third thing is, are you fully relying on the power of promises of God is that where we're living or are we living in our own strength in our own power that's going to fail day after day after day or are we
we living in the promises of who God says we are and the promises of what Christ has done for us? Church, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus this morning. Maybe today's the day that happens. Maybe you're just struggling. Maybe you're just like, Pastor James, I, I don't know how to live in Christ. All I've ever done is live in the traditions of man. There's hope. There's hope in Christ this morning. I don't know what it is, but let's stand. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would be with this time of invitation. Lord, as we seek your face, Lord, help us to draw closer to you today. In your name we pray. Thank you again for taking your time to listen to the sermon audio of Pleasant Grove. Please subscribe to get our latest sermons each week.